Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to the seventh episode of Scared to Death. I still can't believe there's seven episodes. No, thank you. I'm Dan. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lindsay. And uh, we are excited to to scare you. Tis the season to be terrified. Well, you're excited to scare me, and mm-hmm. I am not excited to be scared anymore. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, more at the end about the lack of sleep I'm getting and mm-hmm. how pretty soon I'll be in a mental institute. Mm-hmm. I was a little worried that the show was going to stop just as it's getting going. <laughs> oh, my God. Where Lindsay almost had a, uh, a breakdown of sorts a few days ago. Yeah, so stay tuned after the episode to find out what's been going on. And, and sorry my voice a little scratchy. A lot of content. Doing uh, Recorded a stand-up special this past weekend. Yay! Yay. And just uh, lots of shows and yeah, thank lots, you. lots of podcasting. Lots of stuff, lots of talking. Lots of talking. Lots of fun. <laughs> Last week on Scared to Death, we we varied it up a little bit, and reaction was mixed. Very mixed, very mm-hmm. mixed. Which is fair. You know, it creeps some people out, uh, other people not as much. Right. You know, we, just, we can't do an exorcism tale every week. Because then I would not be sitting here anymore. And eventually no one would listen, you know, right. because it's just like, yeah, it'd be too repetitive. But yes, blah, yes. Blah. But uh, both stories today actually could be interpreted as demonic uh, manifestations of some sort. Cool. So that I, sounds I, so great. Yeah, I think I think today's a little more uh, traditional. And then and then you were happy with the, uh, the I know that you were excited about the ratings and reviews. It's been so much fun. More yeah. than we thought. Yeah, I mean, because it's, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen and you don't yeah. know how a show is going to be received. Um, and like for me... Uh, yeah, it's scary to put yourself out there. So it's been mm-hmm. so great. So thank you for everyone who has been doing that, giving the ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcast. Please keep doing it. It really matters. Uh, you know, we're already hearing from people in the podcast world. They're like, holy crap, yeah. this show is awesome. And, and the reviews are so great. So find us. Everywhere that you get your podcast, rate, review, and then you can follow us on all of our social media channels, you know, Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, YouTube, all the things. So please, please, please keep it up. And we're going to kind of say that for a while because it really matters. And yeah. we just, but we're so grateful. So please know that it matters when you do those things. Yeah, the show's growing to a, to a place where, you know, it's getting close where it looks like this could be a show we could, you know, uh, afford to keep doing. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, exactly. And so yeah. we're very excited about that because we want to keep doing this for a long, long time. Or, Kind of. <laughs> Another reminder from last week, the, the words that Sumerian protection spell that you hear at the beginning of the show is in the episode description. So if you want to you know, say it along or just feel better that you're giving yourself more protection. Mm-hmm. Or inviting something in. And, and, and I know a lot of people have jumped over our initial listeners from Time Suck. And I, you know, I meet people at shows, and I've gotten some feedback recently. Like, hey, I wish you would have dug in deeper to this story, sure. or, or, or you know, looked at uh, the person telling this story. Not going to do that on Scared to Death, and the reason is when you, when you start trying to punch logic holes in paranormal stories, you can take a lot of the fun out of it. So this is all about suspension of disbelief, yeah, and just going with that. What if this person was right? What if what they claim is true? Mm-hmm. I know that probably not all of these stories are true, but I'm not going to really kind of like focus on that. Right. You know, because it's fun. I like to get scared. Yeah. And again, like I like I always say, it just takes one. Right. One of these stories is real. Oh, man. Well, it helps me feel better when I'm really scared. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. <laughs> Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Uh, and finally, before I preview, if you want to uh, spread this STD 
Instagram, Facebook, best ways to do it. Yeah. Because we, uh, our producer, Joey, puts together these really cool videos every single week, uh, never more than a minute long, and you can just tag somebody on Instagram. You can share it on Facebook, mm-hmm. and that way they don't have to like try and subscribe to a podcast to just get a, get a taste for what we're doing. Thanks, Joe. So, yeah, th- and, and so please share and post those. Do it. Do it. And now, two tales as always. Cool. Uh, okay. Oof. First tale, uh, a little, little further explanation. I'm just going to get my blanket. You get your blanket. One of the items we have here, this book uh, box. No. That we have here in the studio, we're going to send it by a listener, Tom Butcher. Oh, yeah, Tom. Going to talk about what this box purportedly is and share the most well-known story involving uh, this professed monster trapper. Cool. Should I touch it while you're talking? If you want. You might not want to after you hear this story. Just kidding. Can I get some hand sanitizer? Our second story involves a young boy who witnessed the terrible death of a stranger and then appears to have been either haunted by the angry spirit of that unfortunate person or by some dark entity preying upon his memory of that gruesome death to inflict further psychological harm. Interesting. Okay. I'm intrigued. Let's get into it. Uh, Start with story one. Take a deep breath. Get ready. Uh, the book box is it's the haunted object that was actually the inspiration and the basis for that 2012 Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, Kira Sedgwick horror movie, The Possession. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, it features largely prominently in that movie. So what is it to book? This does require some context before we get into the story or it won't really make that much sense. Okay. Uh, the book is defined as either a demon or the soul of a dead person that enters the body of a living person and directs the person's conduct. That's kind of important. Directs the person's conduct. Uh, the book is also defined as a malicious, possessing spirit believed to be the dislocated soul of a dead person. It supposedly leaves the host body once it, is, once it has accomplished its goal, sometimes after being helped. Hmm. Okay. The, the legend of the book uh, originates in Jewish mythology. The word itself. Oh. Mm-hmm, the word itself is derived from a Hebrew verb that means to adhere, cling, the act of sticking, also, the abbreviated form of a term that means the cleavage of an evil spirit. And the book encounters have been written about for centuries. Great. These creatures, demons, ghosts, whatever you want to call them, they were first mentioned in the teachings and reflections of the uh, Kabbalistic tradition of Judaism. The word Kabbalah. Kabbalah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes translated as mysticism or occult mm-hmm. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And then Kabbalists or Kabbalists uh, believe that God indeed works in mysterious ways, but that these ways can be understood they believe the nature of good and evil can be understood through study, and study of the dark side uh, led to the discovery of the Dibuk. Okay. So some mystics believe that Dibuks are you know, some type of demon that escaped from hell itself. Most seem to believe that Dibuks are the restless souls of those who left this world with unfinished business, and that they can latch on to a living person to settle that business. And we're going to go with that interpretation for today's tale. Okay, I have so many thoughts already. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, good. yeah. So according to legend, the book uh, often preys upon somebody who's already struggling, someone suffering from depression, psychosis, someone habitually using mind-altering drugs, all believed to provide the ideal environment for a book to sneak in, take over one's consciousness. Uh, interestingly, while a book may possess someone, that possession does not manifest itself in, in the manner most of us think of when we're thinking about traditional demonic uh, possession. Okay. No speaking in Latin, no speaking in languages that the possessed couldn't simply know, you know, before the possession, no stigmata, no deep bestial voice, no sacrilegious threats, no multiple entities trapped inside the same body fighting for control, you know, as can be the case in Christian, especially Catholic possessions. Yeah. Uh, the book is believed only to be able to possess someone in pursuit of its unfinished business. Huh. Also, when it invades a body, it doesn't show up as an obvious separate stream of consciousness. 
You know, it doesn't show up as, you know, dramatically as some entity fighting for possession. It's subtler and maybe scarier than that. That's so, so scary already. Yeah, the book slowly will take over someone's consciousness, steadily transforming someone's personality into that of whoever the book was in life. And that brings its host along for the ride as it tries to finish that unfinished business. If the book was a heavy drinker or a heavy smoker in life, the, the host will now become one too. If the book died alone, it will isolate the host from their family and friends so that the book can exist in familiar surroundings psychologically. The book will make the host perform whatever the same sins it did during its own lifetime. If the, if it, the original person was more promiscuous, you know, the, the new host can suddenly become more promiscuous. Dude. Yeah, the longer that the book is inside a person, if it cannot accomplish its goal, it grows angry, wicked, confused, and frustrated. It can drive its victim deeper into despair until they succumb to the same madness that the book exists in. Oh. And so the, and the exorcism ritual for the spirit is also different for the ritual uh, of a demon from Christian mythology. Okay. As opposed to a priest trying to cast out the entity, mm-hmm. the rabbi tries to coax out a lost soul. Only rabbis who have mastered hmm. practical Kabbalah are able to perform this ritual. With the rabbi, a group of 10 men, known as a minion, gather mm-hmm. around the afflicted in a circle and pray. And since the, debic- the debuk is not considered demonic, the rabbi will attempt to appeal to its humanity. Huh. He asks the debuk questions about what it wants from its host, why it's still here. The whole ceremony is meant to communicate with the spirit, appease it so it will willingly leave the person's body. And then the goal is to trick it into attaching itself to an object, the Dibuk box. Oh, the that's Dibuk, where the box is. The Dibuk okay. box, yeah. The end of the ritual uh, you know, seals the spirit into the Dibuk box where it will remain until it, you know, until someone opens it, until someone unseals it. And then it can be out and loose in the world again. Well, let's not do that. Okay, so that's all the info necessary in order to understand today's tale. Okay. Now I'm ready to tell it. Time now for the tale of Kevin Manis's Dibuk box. In the 1930s, a Jewish woman named Halava immigrated to America to escape the rise of Nazism. One of the few belongings she brought with her was an antique box, a family heirloom dating back many years, a small sealed wine cabinet she demanded no one touch, a small box she believed with all of her heart to contain a dibuk. And if anyone ever broke or opened it, if its seal was broken in any way, the spirit angry before it was imprisoned, would be unleashed back into the world, free to attach itself to a new host. And yet that's the one thing you brought with you. That's great. In 2003, Halava died at age 103 in Portland, Oregon. Wow. She protected the box she feared for over seven decades, a box her children also feared, a box her grandchildren feared a little bit less, mm-hmm. a box her great-grandchildren claimed to not fear at all, Shit. but weren't quite brave or curious enough to open it. After her death... Halava's belongings were auctioned off at an estate sale. The antique dealer handling that sale, Kevin Manis, asked her family if they wanted to keep any heirlooms or personal belongings, such as the wine cabinet that was in you know, nearly perfect condition despite being well over 100 years old. Halava's descendants just wanted to be rid of what was either a cursed relic or just an object haunted by nothing more than grandma's superstition. Yeah. Assured Kevin they had no interest in it. Totally. Family also couldn't in good conscience, you know, uh, not share their grandmother's story with Manus, so they told him about the Dibuk and everything I told you earlier. Not being Jewish, superstitious, or believer in the paranormal, Kevin took the box, the wine cabinet, back to his antique shop. Days later, a hysterical employee phones him from his shop while he is off at another estate sale. She said that when she showed up for work, 
she heard strange sounds coming from inside his office. Uh-oh. His office is where he'd placed half of his box. It sounded like someone was whispering. The whispering especially freaked her out because the doors of the shop were locked when she showed up and no one else was supposed to be in the building. Mm-mm. Making things worse, Kevin's office was also locked inside the building and she didn't have a key for his office. Not that she would unlock it if she did. When she tried flipping on the lights, nothing turned on. Oh, dear. She realized that all the light bulbs inside the shop had been smashed or exploded. <gasps> there was a strange odor in the building. Ugh. Kevin raced over to his store to find out what the hell was going on. He found the broken light bulb, smelled the strange odor, which he described as smelling like cat urine. Ew. He unlocked his office, found no one inside, nothing out of place. An inventory check revealed nothing had been taken. Hmm. Couldn't figure out a logical explanation for what had happened. There was no signs of an intruder or a break-in, so who broke the light bulbs? Where did the smell come from? Kevin thought his employee must have just let the lights and the smell spook her and just mentally added it, you know, added the whispering voice. Men always denying that it's happening. And she was adamant. Yeah, of she was adamant she was. that she had heard someone in her boss's office. Days later, she was still so freaked out by this that she actually quit. Yeah. She didn't feel comfortable working alone in that building anymore. Yeah, get the fuck out. Manis found the whole situation confusing, but he also thought his employee had grossly overreacted. Nothing had been taken. Why would anyone come into his office, unlock it without damaging the door, move absolutely nothing around in the room, then just sneak out after his employee left, lock up, somehow escape being seen when leaving the building before he showed up? None of it made any sense. True. A day or two later, Kevin decided to inspect the old wine cabinet. If it had really been sealed for over 70 years, it could have some really cool stuff inside. No. I I might do the same thing. Of course you would. This is what he found. Two 1920s pennies, a lock of blonde hair wrapped around a cord. Ew. A lock of black hair wrapped around a cord. Double ew. A wine goblet, a dried rosebud, a candle holder, and a small statue engraved with the word shalom on it. Hello. It looked like items used in a ritual because that's exactly what they were. These were the items used by a rabbi long ago to trap the Dibbuk inside the box. At first, while Manus remembered what Halava's family had told him, he didn't feel you know anything out of the ordinary examining the contents of the wine chest. And, and he left everything and shut the chest and, and didn't think anything of it. <sighs> Nothing spooked him about this incident opening the chest. Of course not. Soon, though, he would become convinced that the box did hold something evil. A week or so later, Kevin began to have intense nightmares. Kevin! He dreamt of demons. He dreamt of hell, tormented souls, and the dreams which were especially vivid. One moment, everything could be as normal as a dream can be. The next, the face of whoever he was talking to would twist and contort. Their eyes would blacken or roll back in their heads. Their hands would curl into claws. They'd chase him, follow him, show up behind him as he stared at his own reflection in a window or mirror. Initially, Kevin didn't connect these nightmares with the box. Okay, He thought he was just having bad dreams, as people will do from time to time. And he gave the box to his mother as a birthday gift. Oh, no. She had seen it in the shop. She thought it was beautiful. That night, she suffers a small stroke. (gasps) Even worse, without Kevin telling her the full backstory of what this thing was, as crazy as it sounds, his mother thought the box had something to do with her stroke. She thought she heard something in her house the night after he gave it to her when she laid in bed, someone whispering. She carefully went downstairs to see if it was her daughter who had been at her birthday party, had stayed after to help clean up. She went home almost an hour ago, but maybe she forgot something and had to come back. Mm -hmm. Once downstairs, she didn't see anyone. Of course not. But she still heard that whispering. 
Looking for the source of the sound, she walked right up to the Dybbuk box. <gasps> the whispering stopped. When she stared at it and a chill went down her spine, it felt alive. I have the chills. It felt like it knew that she was there. And that was when she had the stroke. And when Kevin came to visit her in the hospital, she told him that she wanted the box gone by the time she came home. Totally. Kevin was spooked, but he also thought this can't be real. Kevin! He told his sister about it. She was even more skeptical than he was. And she said that if her mom didn't want it, she would take oh it. Oh my god! Get the fuck out, you people. No one believes, other than the mother now, that this thing has, you know, any real possession inside of it, any real haunting. The next day, his sister brings the box back to his shop. Oh, my God. She didn't hear anything, but she felt something no object had ever made her feel before. She also said it just felt alive. It felt wrong. It felt sick, strangely dangerous somehow. She had the first nightmare she could remember having in years. The nightmares. Kevin told his older brother now what had happened with his employee, told him about how scared his mom got, told him about this, you know, how, the, how she attributed the stroke to this box, told him about how spooked their sister got. Kevin's brother said he'd take it. Oh, my Lord. He said he didn't w even need a wine cabinet, but he would love to show the rest of the family how ridiculous they were being. No part of him believed this box was haunted in any way. Why? He returns to the shop the next day as well. Tells Kevin that he and uh, their sister and mom must have gotten to him. Because he couldn't sleep, and he heard some strange sort of whispering as well. And when he walked into his dining room to look at the box and turned on the light, he could have sworn that he saw the box's shadow transform into the shape of a person, walk along the wall, and walk out of the room. Oh, no. Said it scared the shit out of him. Oh, uh, yeah. Said he probably just imagined the whole thing. He was, you know, maybe he was even dreaming. But he decided, you know what? He just didn't want to take any chances. He didn't want this thing. Yeah, get rid of it, man. He also said the dining room smelled terrible. Smelled like ammonia. Like cat piss. Like cat piss. Same smell, you know, Kevin's employee had noticed before. Mm -hmm. He laughed it all off. Excuse me. <clears throat> but Kevin could tell that his traditionally smart-ass, tough guy brother, you know, was truly afraid yeah. of the Dybbuk box. I'm afraid right now. Kevin didn't know what to do. He, he thought about burning it. I mean, he'd already unsealed it, and whatever was in it was out, right? No. But, but something inside him told him not to do that. Do not burn that box. He felt like whatever was in that box was still somehow inside. Maybe now it was free to leave, but it hadn't left. And if he destroyed it, it would go find a new home, and he didn't want to risk being that new home. Uh-huh. He felt sick to his stomach for doing it, but he put it up for sale. Oh, dear. He just wanted to get it away from him, away from his family. He gave it center display in his shop. Put such a good price on it that it sold just a few hours after he put it up for sale to a young couple oh, no. that had moved into the area. And then he found it sitting in front of his store three mornings later with a note taped to it saying, this has a bad darkness. <gasps> now, oh, I just got the chills. Now what is Kevin Manis supposed to do? He's afraid to keep the box, afraid to get rid of it. He still wants to destroy it, but isn't sure what's going to happen to him if he does. He ends up deciding to put it uh, for sale on eBay the online auction site that night and he does include an explanation of everything that had happened again for his own conscience okay he, he doesn't want to give it to another unsuspecting person he he is now absolutely convinced that this thing is evil it is and it sells almost immediately and then it sells again and again it sold many times since no way each owner reports supernatural activity many have reported the sounds and a strange odor finally the cabot sells to a man named jason haxton 
Shortly after taking possession of the box, he begins to have health problems. No. His hair begins to fall out for no valid medical reason. Uh-uh. At least none the doctors can diagnose. He suffers other health issues. Doctors are unable to determine the underlying cause. He'd been perfectly healthy before taking possession of the Divic box. Get rid of the box! Also on several occasions, light bulbs in his home blow out. A strange, nauseating odor fills the room. Ugh. Like Kevin's brother and some of the eBay owners, he also starts seeing shadowy figures. <laughs> the shadows. Hearing unexplainable noises. And then one night, Kevin awakens to find a strange, dark figure, possibly that of a woman leaving his bedroom, just walking out of his bedroom. He jumps out of his bed, scared but curious, goes to the hallway, sees it turn the corner and walk into the living room. He sneaks down the hall after it, far braver than I would be. Yeah. Watches in disbelief as the figure seems to disappear into the Dybbuk box. Ha! Nope. The next morning, tries telling himself it was all just a dream, but he knew better. Nope. get rid of that fucking box. Also, the wine cabinet doors will now not stay shut no matter what <gasps> he does. It's out. Even when he firmly closes it, he you know hears it click shut. He, he'd later find him wide open. Ugh. He does some internet sleuthing and is able to track down Kevin Manis, the guy who originally put it up for sale. Yeah. He contacts him, explains all that had transpired, begs him to help uncover the history of the box. He feels that's the key to stopping whatever is attached to it. Kevin and Jason reach out to Halava's family, and her family put them in touch with an elderly cousin of Halava's named Sophia. <gasps> Sophia told them that her mother and Havila's mother had supposedly been playing with the Ouija board oh late one night when they God. were teens. Over 90 years ago. It's always a Ouija board. The two Jewish girls inadvertently summoned a Dibbuk, and the family legend is that it took possession of Havila's mother, Beryl. Uh-uh. Over the next few weeks, Beryl's personality changed substantially. She became obsessed with a woman from their synagogue who said she had stolen what was hers and that she had to pay for it. One night, she told Sophia's mom that this woman had taken her husband. She was a whore. She was going to poison her. Sophia told her parents who told their rabbi who brought in another rabbi to perform a ritual to coax a dibbuk out of Beryl. Oh, dear. And that's exactly what they did. They were able to coax it out of her and no trap way. the spirit inside of that cabinet. And then Beryl watched over the box the rest of her short life. She died in her late 30s. She knew it was, you know, it was her fault that, that you know, this thing had entered this world and that it was her responsibility to guard it. Before she died, she made her daughter Havila promise to keep watch over the box. And when Havila migrated to the U.S., she brought it with her. She managed to safeguard it, you know, until her death. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And so now what was to be done with this troubled spirit? Sophia, you know, put Jason and Kevin in touch with a new rabbi. Mm -hmm. A new ritual would have to be performed to reseal the Dibbuk in a new box. Can you get it back? And quickly, well, this is the legend, quickly before it attaches to someone else, to another object. So that's exactly what they did. Days later, a rabbi a circle of 10 men, you know, the, the, the minion, minion, they pray around this box. Kevin and Jason, neither man Jewish, were not part of the ceremony, but they did witness it. Halfway through the ritual, they hear the whispering. <gasps> they begin to smell the ammonia. No more than a minute later, every light bulb in the room blows out. Shut up. The rabbi continued to lead the ritual in the darkness as Kevin and Jason turn on their phones as flashlights to see what's going on in the room. They see the shadow of a woman emerge from the chest. The whispering turns into a wail. She took him. She took him from me. <gasps> she will pay with her life. Oh, my God. The prayer continues as a troubled spirit screams, where is she? Where have you hidden her? The confused shadow then begins to move towards the new small wooden box the rabbi had brought with him. A new dibbuk box, a new trap. No, the shadow screams. It seems to be forcibly drawn towards the box. 
talks. Its voice fades back to a whisper, then disappears entirely as the shadow disappears into the box that the rabbi quickly sh- uh, shuts and reseals. Wow. Or I guess seals. This is the new box. The rabbi instructs Jason, the last owner of the previous box, to hide this new box in an undisclosed location where no one can find it, no one can break it. They cannot destroy this sad, you know, like this box and release this sad, angry, confused spirit. You know, they have to trap, leave it trapped. They have to just contain it forever. Jason has vowed never to tell anyone where it is and to safeguard the box as long as he lives. But now the question remains, what will happen when Jason dies? He is not a young man. And what has happened, you know, when he was no longer able to safeguard the box? What will the spirit do if it ever gets out again? Who will it make pay for a wrong that cannot be righted? Yikes. I have so many things. So many questions. <sighs> Is it Madonna? <laughs> Is the box Madonna? You know, we do we do have some uh, some pictures. Because you know uh, she loves Kabbalah. Oh yeah, she, she o- does. She does. She only yeah. drinks Kabbalah water. Oh, does she? Yeah, Bless, she's very kind of blessed. Into water. It. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I've heard that. But the, maybe she's pretty into it. This first, this first picture is supposedly the 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 box, the, the original. Oh, okay. The I, wine cabinet. Yeah, I was picturing something so much bigger, so I was a little bit confused. Okay. And it, well, yeah, I think it's decent size. Here, there's one more picture of this next one. Kind of shows you know when you open it up, it's pretty elaborate. And yeah. there's and there's some of the original items. So this is the one, obviously, that the guy got the estate sale. That, uh, you know, then passed around many hands and then, you know, was opened. You know, the, the mom with the stroke, all of those things. Right. When you were saying wine cabinet, I was thinking oh, like some like a large. big, big one. Yeah. Like a hutch or something. Yeah, like I, a, guess that's, I guess it's like a little mini. I mean, it's described as a wine it, cabinet. It reminds me of a tabernacle. Okay. Uh, uh, if you're Catholic, um, tabernacle, they use it to, or, or like a monstrance also um, is another mm. thing. It's like a monstrance. Let me go backwards. A tabernacle is a box, and it okay. um, sits at the back of if the altar is here and the priest performs here. It's usually behind him, mm-hmm. uh, and it contains oh, leftover yeah, okay. um, body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's a safe place for keeping it because you know they bless the br- the bread and the water, right. And, right? and so when it when you have mass and it's not all consumed, it has to go somewhere. You can't just like throw it away. So it lives in a tabernacle. Oh. So it's like leftovers, basically, okay, okay. like a like a religious refrigerator. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice, and nice. And then a, a monstrance is like uh, there are times of the year when you pray and honor the 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 host, and they get like a large one, and they put it in this like beautiful, usually like gold display case. So it's kind of something in that world. Okay, I, I get it. it I, I bet that wine cabinet, if we really dug into it, probably has some deeper religious meaning I in bet, the Jewish yeah. culture. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I bet you. Okay. So sorry for that long explanation, but like I'm sure that that's what it. That's oh, okay. what makes sense. No, to me. that's yeah. that's great. Yeah, because I didn't think of that. Um, and then and then this next one, this I'm is I guess what you always... can look like. Now this is real. This is. <laughs> That that is from the movie The Possession. That is really? the girl possessed by the Dibbuk. So that's their interpretation in that movie. But I thought, I mean, that's awful. Mm-hmm. But I, that's somebody being possessed by the Dibbuk. I, I guess I'm, I thought that it wasn't. Well, this is Hollywood. Right. Yeah, like not like more like a demon. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, some people do think it's demonic, so, so, and some, um, you know, uh, you know. Jewish mystics yeah. do think that it's not a lost soul, that oh. it is demonic, that it's just a troubled spirit. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's all kind of interpretation. This next image is what they is, think it looks like. No, I this want, is real. This is from the, this is from the movie. That, hold on. Uh, Before I look. Oh, my God. Before I look, is it going to be a picture of Jeffrey Dean Morgan without a shirt on? Oh, no. I know Damn you'd it. like that. I know you're a big fan of okay. him. Okay. He's hot. Ah! Yeah. That's from, yeah. The, that's from the movie. I guess that's what uh, they think the Dybbuk look like. I'm just going to stay this way. But they think like, you know, okay, let's say it was yeah. uh, 
uh, a God spirit. God damn it, I thought it was gone. But let's say it's a spirit that, you know, started Joe. off as, as a real spirit that was gone? trying to fit. Yes, it's gone now. Trying to finish its, its business. <laughs> now it's back. Joe, but, I'm not sleeping already. I don't need that image in my mind. But there's also people who think that, okay, it's not like technically a demon, but it's this troubled spirit who has been in anguish for God knows how long in right, some cases. Right. And it just morphs into this insane monster that just wants to, you know. Like settle a score. Settle a score that like. can't be settled. Right. Because the people involved in settling the score died a long, long time ago. Yes. So it, it's just like in, in essentially like an insane ghost. Yeah. And and then they think, you know, like as it you know, becomes angry over being confused, over not being able to figure out what it wants, yeah. that it just becomes malicious and just hateful and like, you mm-hmm. know, lack of a better term, evil. Now, what about this whole thing about um, if you're into psychedelics or yeah. doing drugs that like you're more susceptible? I just recently decided that like maybe I was willing to try shrooms, which right. I've never done. Now, after hearing that. I'm fucking back out. I'm out. I was in for like a week, and now I'm fucking out. And that's an well, that, uh, yeah, that's an angle of thought that some people have about you know. It ent- makes sense. A variety of entities where, if if for whatever reason they want to be sneaky, we don't have to understand why they want what they want. Right. But if they want to like not be discovered, they don't want to be as obvious. That what what better kind of host than sneak into somebody who's already struggling for some reason mentally? You know where where it can like because then it can right. be attributed like oh there's nothing inside of them there's right. no need to get any kind of religious people involved. This is just mental illness. This is just, you know, uh, some kind of drug that's, you know, altered their mind in a way that can't be like unaltered. Right. Because right. then it can like if it's like a, if you think of it like a parasite that doesn't yeah. want to be found, that yeah. doesn't want to have medicine administered to it, it would get to stay, I guess, theoretically in those hosts longer mm-hmm. would be the thought. Mm-hmm. But and there's another school of thought that obviously it's like that all of this is mental illness. Yeah. I mean, there's that. But, mm-hmm. like, people who do psychedelics yeah. say that, like, oh, well, it opens up all these, like, pathways in your brain and you go to a different level and the la, right. la, 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 la. Uh, I have said that I never want you to do acid because. I've, I, right. I've already done it. <laughs> because I don't want you to do it anymore, Dan, right. ever again. Because what if you don't come back? But what if all those people who didn't come back from a bad trip mm-hmm. have the books in them? Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe. Well, what about this angle? What if uh, I did go into some kind of demon hell landscape? And what if I was like, I feel like I finally fit in. What if I'm the happiest I've ever been? <laughs> I just, I heard our producer <laughs> laughing. <laughs> uh, I mean, no. What, I, I don't no? even have an answer for that. <laughs> like, okay, my counter to that is, okay. my counter to that is, cool, I'll do shrooms. And I wanted to book and I want a slutty fucking to book. And then I'm going to fuck everybody. And then I'm going to say to you, like, I finally feel like loved and accepted and understood here. That might be super hot. <laughs> how, we, how weird are we going to get? <laughs> I was thinking, as usual, yeah. you should fucking listen to the women. What is it? I, I, sw- I swear to God, these stories. The sister, the sister wasn't. She was skeptical as well. Uh, until she spent one night with the box. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And if they would have just listened to their mother. Mm-hmm. Listen. Why is that? Listen to your mom. Are women more intuitive? More intuitive, more susceptible, Less stubborn? Uh, more are... open to it. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, easier to permeate. I don't know. Yeah, they are. You're welcome. <laughs> Ball <laughs> built, on the tee. Built for permeation. <laughs> okay. Ah. Now, that we, now, that we, now that we cleared the air a little bit, laugh a little bit. I just, but. Oh, yeah, and then you got the box there. Right. So if anybody wants to open our... I don't want to open that box after this story. I mean, because... Hey, I... hey, let me finish what I was saying. Oh, sorry. Thank you. If anybody wants to open this box, I would just say, like, 
you can come here and get it and take it back with you to wherever mm. you came from. It cannot be anywhere close to me. And then you can report back to us. What if somebody took that box and then they were, we found out they were dead two days later? Okay, well, you, if you take the box, you have to sign a waiver. Okay, if... I'm not kidding. Okay, if somebody took the box and they died, be honest, would a, at least a small part of you kind of be happy that you know it's real? <laughs> no! Would you, would you be willing to sacrifice one fan... Who's the fan? Who's the fan? Oh, you, oh, that decides it. You get to pick. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> is it you? No. Wait, was there a fly? You know, I think that I'm being haunted by flies. There is no fly in here. I, th- I, I swear I just saw one. I but just... you, might, you might be seeing more after this next story, because I think this next story is scarier. Great. That, uh, that's the, that first story is the kind of story that, like, in the moment, I'm like, okay. I got, like, some chills. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. But now it's going to... It's going to haunt it, you. Yeah, because I love to go thrift shopping. And I love antiques. Uh, and now all I can think is like, oh my God. It's like that one story I told you about this podcast that I listened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, um, somebody bought a chair at Goodwill. Yeah. Like an office chair. And then everywhere that chair went. Oh yeah. You fucking go. Right. That story fucked oh, me God. up for That did weeks. scare you. Yeah. Yes. I, I remember I was holding laundry mm-hmm. and I was like, nope, turn that off. I'm done with that podcast. Yeah. The Dybbuk Box, our first haunted object story. Yeah. We'll have more. We'll have more. We'll have more. Oh dear. Are you ready for our next tale now? I mean. You braced? <sighs> okay. Okay. Get ready to get really fucked up. Thanks. Numerous, if not most, ghost legends are tied to tragic circumstances. Someone dies a terrible death, they're poisoned, shot, stabbed, pushed down some stairs, murdered in some other fashion. Perhaps they commit suicide after undergoing some great personal misfortune or betrayal or other trauma. And their anguished spirit remains trapped in some sort of purgatorial state. Mm -hmm. Typically based on eyewitness encounters, the sad, angry, just confused and lost spectral entity hangs around or haunts the geographical location of their death. The bedroom where they hang themselves, the the basement where they were killed. Sometimes they haunt where the remains end up, you know, such as the cemetery where they were buried or the house built above where their body was hidden. In what seems to be much more rare instances, a spirit will haunt someone involved in their death. The person who murdered them, the lover who jilted them, the friend who betrayed them. Yeah. In still more rare occasions, a spirit may haunt someone who had nothing to do directly with their death, but may have witnessed it. Someone maybe they felt could have saved them, but didn't. This next story is, is possibly one of those examples. Okay. Or it could also be an example of a demon or some other type of malevolent entity exploiting the memory of a child, witnessing a tragic and emotionally scarring event, oh. manipulating that child's fear by manifesting itself as a vision of, of the thing that haunts the child already. You know, the vision of someone that child watched die, playing off of existing emotional pain to psychologically terrify and torture. Yeah. The following story has been adapted from a, from a tale uh, a reader sent into an anthology of various supposedly real encounters with the paranormal. Time now for our tale, The Smell of Burning Flesh. Alfonso, 34 years old, the time he shares his story, seems to have been around seven or eight when he experienced something darkly paranormal. He says that he has suffered from anxiety and depression his entire adult life and for most of his childhood, and he knows exactly when his mental suffering began. Hmm. Witnessing a man die in a devastating car accident. When he was just a toddler, Alfonso's family moved from Texas to Los Angeles in search of better economic opportunities, but those opportunities never were realized. Life in the city was harder and more expensive than the family had anticipated, and when he was still in grade school, Alfonso's father got a job back in Texas, and the family packed up and set out on a road trip through Arizona and New Mexico to return. Okay. 
While driving through the remote Arizona desert, they were one of the first to arrive at the scene of a brutal car accident. A man had smashed into the guardrail and then flipped his vehicle and rolled down the center of the highway. His car was crushed and laying upside down in the middle of the road, a a trail of broken glass, scraps of metal, you know, laying out behind it. He was beat up and bloody, but still very much alive. Oh. When Alfonso and his parents pulled up, the wreck couldn't have happened more than a minute or two earlier. Alfonso's father parked their car, got out to help him as another man pulled up and did the same. The driver of the wrecked vehicle groaned in pain, cried out for the men to help him. Just please help me. Get me out of this car. Oh, God. Alfonso's watching and hearing all of this. His father and the other man, they get down on their stomachs. They try and, you know, undo the wounded stranger's seatbelt as he struggles in his seat to release him. Due to how damaged his car is and the fact that it's upside down, they can't reach the buckle to release it. One of the driver's arms clearly broken. He can't reach below his chest with the other arm. The steering wheel is jammed into his chest from the crash, making accessing anything below his stomach incredibly difficult. Alfonso's father has a pocket knife and and wants to cut the man's seatbelt off, but when they cut off the shoulder portion of the seatbelt, somehow the lap section gets jammed up and it won't release, so he's still trapped. Shit. They can't open any of the doors due to how smashed up the doors are. They quickly realize they're, uh, you know, uh, going to have to kick this windshield in to get this guy out, and which is going to be almost impossible because of the fact that they need to lay down in order to do that due to the car being upside down. Right. It's hard to get the leverage needed to actually kick this windshield in. Also, this happens in a time before cell phones. So, you know, they can't just call authorities from where they are. So they start to figure out who should drive where. You know, neither one of them are from the area. These, these right. guys trying to help. Where do you go to alert the closest authorities? That's when they first see the smoke. <gasps> Shit. Yes. The driver understandably begins to panic when he sees it as well. Just please, please hurry. It's, it's catching on fire. Oh, God. Get me out. Alfonso's dad desperately decides to just violently rip the guy out of the car. Oof. But when he pulls yanks on this guy as hard as he can, the guy screams out in pain but doesn't budge. Like he is trapped in this car. Fuck. Then he sees the flames. Alfonso's mother yells at his father, telling him to get away from the car. Gas is leaking. The fire is moving pretty fast from the rear to the front of the vehicle. Alfonso's dad says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, God. He starts to crawl away when the driver grabs a hold of his shirt with his one good arm. Please don't let me burn alive. Oh, God. His father smoke all around him. Flames almost touch him. Apologizes again. I'm so sorry. He tears loose of the man's grip, quickly gets on his feet, backs away as flames reach the driver, who begins to scream. Help me! Help me! His skin starts to burn. He seems to stare wild-eyed and in pain directly at young Alfonso. Or at least that's how Alfonso would later remember it. Oh, God. Everyone watches helplessly for what seems like an hour as this guy burns alive. Oh, God. It seems like he would never stop screaming. He quickly becomes completely engulfed in flames. He's still screaming. Jesus. Slamming his body violently around in a futile last attempt to escape. Finally, as his skin is blistered and cracked and bleeding, his skin, you know, seeming to melt off of his, you know, skeleton, he goes quiet. And then his body is still. And he just keeps burning. By the time the paramedics finally arrived, the car and the man inside had burned down just a blackened corpse. You know, a big twisted pile of metal and glass around him. So sad. So sad. Alfonso says he still remembers the smell. The smell of gasoline, rubber from the tires, mixed with the haunting smell of burning human flesh. After giving a statement to the highway patrol, Alfonso's father and the family start driving again. Young Alfonso, understandably... Couldn't stop thinking about what he just witnessed. Oh, my God. Couldn't stop hearing the screams. Couldn't forget the smell. He laid awake for what felt like most of that night in the hotel room. 
Over the next few weeks, of course, he has nightmares. Yeah. And then the intensity of the memory slowly starts to fade away. And Alfonso has uh, new problems now to deal with. After getting settled into the family's new house, Alfonso had gone back to school and he didn't fit in. When he started school, he's already a shy kid. Yeah. He finds himself even more withdrawn than normal when he shows up because he's fucking traumatized. Yeah. From this recent accident. It's like PTSD. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make a good first impression with the classmates, so now he's kind of a social pariah. Oh. When he comes home from school, his parents, you know, they're still at work, busy with new jobs. Uh, he starts spending most of his time alone in his world of imagination inside of his room, playing with his toys. You know, it's his little sanctuary. Initially, that room, you know, is a peaceful sanctuary. And then, you know, he, he, you know, he's a place where he can escape getting lost in his thoughts of, again, watching this guy die. I mean, what a traumatic event to witness as a young kid. But then after a few weeks, uh, his, the energy in his room starts to shift. Somehow it stops feeling peaceful. Suddenly, in the midst of playing, he starts feeling what he would later describe as an oppressive force descend upon him. No idea what was causing it. No idea where it came from. Felt like it would surround him. He said it felt tangible. Like the way you can feel humidity stick to your skin on a hot Texas day. Soon, this dark, heavy feeling began to make him feel physically ill. He'd feel sick to his stomach. And then after a few days of this going on... He actually starts to occasionally vomit oh, from feeling dear. so just just sick to his stomach, this heavy feeling in his room. After a few days of complaining of constant stomach pains, occasional vomiting, Alfonso's parents decide to take him to a doctor. The doctor can't find anything physically wrong with him. He feels that Alfonso's problems are probably psychosomatic. Essentially, it's all in his head. His stomach pains were probably just a symptom of stress. Yeah, some kind of PTSD, anxiety. Yeah. He'd been dealing with due to, you know, moving to a new town, sharing, you know, starting a new school, witnessing something so horrific. A lot of change, a lot of stress. The doctor recommends Alfonso see a counselor, but that just wasn't an option. And Alfonso's family in his uh, Mexican, traditional, blue-collar, machismo subculture, his dad felt that going to see a counselor was admitting that you were crazy Aww. or weak or both. You know, counselor was just a waste of money, and essentially he just tells his son to man up. Shit. Alfonso's father decides his son, you know, is just going through a phase, needs to toughen up, and so back to his room he goes. Oh, man. And the feeling of that mysterious, heavy, oppressive force hadn't left, and it begins to intensify. Oh, dear. Alfonso would start to feel like he was suffocating, and he'd leave his room to go watch TV in the living room, play outside, help his mom in the kitchen, anything to not be in his room. And and at work during the day. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he still has to sleep there. Right. At first, he started, you know, tries crashing on the couch, but his parents would just wake him up and send him back into his room. Late one night, laying in his bed, surrounded by that strange, oppressive feeling, a new source of fear begins to emerge from the darkness. Uh Uh-oh. Now, suddenly, Alfonso feels that something more than just a vague, overwhelming, and negative force is in his room. He feels the presence of an actual entity, something sentient. Fuck. That first night, he can't see anything, but he can feel something standing in the far corner of his room. Behind his door, something is watching him, something predatory. In true little kid fashion, he pulls his blanket up over his head, tries to hide, hoping whatever he was just, you know, uh, feeling that was in the room will just go away, but he still feels it. He knows it's still right there, still watching him from the corner. He lays awake for what feels like most of the night before finally falling back asleep. When his mother wakes him up, he gets dressed as fast as he can, gets out of his room, happy to spend the day at school, where he still didn't have any friends, but at least he didn't feel the presence of whatever that was the night before. Yeah. Exhausted from his long night, he falls asleep in class. Oh, shoot. Teacher calls his house, talks to his parents. Now he's in trouble. When he gets home, he gets sent directly to his room. Uh-huh. Grounded for not Great. paying attention in class. 
As soon as he opens his bedroom door, he can feel it. That same heaviness descending upon him. That night, he hears it for the first time. <gasps> as he lays in his bed. Oh, no. Covers pulled up over his head. The feeling of someone, something else being in the room with him intensifies. Then he hears what distinctly sounds like footsteps. <sighs> he hears the floorboards creak under the weight of something that sounded like it was walking towards his bed. Fuck me. From the same corner of his room behind the door. No. When this thing, whatever it was, makes it to the foot of his bed, he can hear it stop. He can feel it watch him. No. With a fierce intensity. He becomes convinced that if he looked out from beneath his blankets, he will see it. He is so convinced that he never looks. He stays hidden. No way. But eventually, he has to go to the bathroom. Oh, God. He closes his eyes, throws off his cover, scampers across his bedroom floor, you know, finding the door by memory, feeling around for going to the bathroom. He returns to his bed the same way, blindly running towards his bed, quickly throwing the covers up and over his face. And then the thing is gone. <gasps> the feeling what? of something standing there, suddenly gone. Uh, somehow, you know, went away when he left the room. He falls asleep. When he wakes up the next morning, his room still feels off, still feels wrong, but also doesn't feel like anything is with him. Hmm. And that's as bad as things would get for the next several weeks. The dark and oppressive atmosphere remains, but it no longer felt like something was watching him. Okay. And he kind of just gets used to it. He starts sleeping through the night. He eventually stops hiding under the covers. When he comes home from school, he keeps himself busy, plays outside of his room still until he has to go to bed. His room still feels off. But that was it. And then suddenly, of course, it's back. Of course. More powerful than ever. One night, shortly before falling asleep, Alfonso once again gets the distinct feeling that something is watching him from the corner of his room. His stomach drops. Somehow, having that sensation go away long enough for him to let his guard down, only to return now, seems worse yeah. than if it had just been there the entire time. Totally. He feels an overwhelming sense of dread, pulls the covers over his head, hears the footsteps again. Unlike last time, he decides to peek out from under his covers to see if there is really something there. Something now standing at the foot of his bed, make sure this isn't just all in his head like his dad keeps telling him. And that's when he sees it. No. For the first time. No. He sees the figure of what seemed to be an adult man standing just past the foot of his bed. A man who looked like he was made of smoke. The oh, edges no. of his body soft, slightly moving, like a dark billowing cloud, darker than the surrounding night in the shape of a person. Even though this thing had no noticeable eyes, Alfonso can feel it staring right at him. He slips back underneath his blankets, closes his eyes, and starts to cry. He wants to yell out for his parents, but he's afraid they will, you know, they won't see it anyway. He just get in trouble. He's afraid of what this thing might do if he cries out. So he just lays awake most of the night. When his mom wakes him the next morning, the smoke man is gone. He tells both his parents what had just happened. Of course, no one believes him. No one. Afraid of getting in trouble, he manages to stay awake at school that day. And then that night, he sneaks out and tries hiding and sleeping in the living room again. Oh, poor baby. His dad finds him again, of course, sends him back to his room, getting more annoyed by all of this. The dark cloud in the shape of a man returns that night. Fuck. Once again, walking from the corner of his room behind the door to the foot of his bed, another sleepless night. Alfonso sneaks out of his room again the next night to avoid this thing. His father again finds him, of course, threatening now to ground him in his room for weeks. Alfonso just gives up on trying to escape after this. Sleeping under his blankets, the creature returns night after night. He just stays there, hides under his blankets, feels terrified. Oh my God. And just hopes it will go away. Occasionally, his mom will come to check on him. Sometimes walking in right when the smoke man <gasps> is watching him, she never sees it. Shit. It goes on like this for several weeks, night after night. Then he hears it breathe. Oh no. 
After hearing it walk from the corner to the foot of his bed, after filling the thing's stare, he hears raspy breathing. Alfonso pulls his blanket down just far enough to look at it, and he sees the man again made out of dark smoke, but now the smoke begins to drift away. Behind the smoke is the body of a man, nothing monstrous, something that seems so real. Just an average-looking adult, no dark, black-eyed children eyes, no red shadow person eyes. He looks a little bit like one of Alfonso's teachers at school, actually. Short, a bit pudgy, roughly Alfonso's father's age, short, dark brown hair. And that was the way he looked. Uh, um, and the way he looked at Alfonso, also terrifying. He stares at Alfonso with the most intense anger and hate that young Alfonso had ever felt. Alfonso meets his gaze, gaze is immediately basically hypnotized. His oh, body shit. freezes. He suddenly can't move or make a sound. He just lays there for what feels like an eternity, locked in a paranormal staring contest of sorts with what seems to be the ghost of a man who despises him. Yikes. After what seems like hours, the man turns, walks back to the corner behind the door, and vanishes. What? The next morning, Alfonso's mom is the one, the one that comes into his room to wake him up. When she comes in, he's like broken. Oh. He's sobbing. When she, when she touches him, he jumps. Oh, His dear. eyes are wild, wide open with fear. Like, he seems like he's had, a, like, a breakdown. Yeah. Suddenly scared, you know, his mother asks him, what has happened? You know, he tries to tell her, but, he, but she can't even make out what he's saying because he's, like, hyperventilating, basically. Yeah. He's crying so hard. His mom is worried that, she, that he really has some kind of, like, mental breakdown. He's, yeah. like, you know, that he's going to have to go. This is really severe now. This is my future. <laughs> right. When he finally tells her what had happened, she assumes that he must just be having severe night terrors, which, you know, are a real problem for some kids. That's true. So she tries to convince his father, like, he needs to see a therapist. Like, this is serious. His dad still will not budge. Get the fuck out of here. Too embarrassed by the thought of his friends, family, neighbors finding out that his boy is weak. You know, he tells him he just he's got to fucking get over this. Just toughen oh up. Just stop this. God. His dad does at least start letting him sleep in the living room. Okay. And immediately things get better. No more strange man. No more feelings of being watched. Alfonso starts sleeping so well that his dad decides time to go back to your room. How? Oh. He can't stay in the living room forever. The very first night he returns to this room, so does this thing. It's back. And now what Alfonso experiences is far worse than before. God damn it. Alfonso is not hiding under the covers this time when it shows up. He's angry. He hates this thing that's been haunting him. What has he done to deserve this? Why him? He summons all of his courage. You know, tries to be tough like his dad wants him to be. Mm -hmm. You know, and he keeps his eyes on the corner behind the door. He waits for the son of a bitch to return. And sure enough, he does. Suddenly, the heavy atmosphere of dread intensifies. It feels tactile again. Oh. Like a malevolent mist settling on his skin. And then the man, not surrounded by smoke at all this time, walks directly out of the corner of his room, his face contorted in a look of rage and hate that intensifies, you know, with Alfonso's, you know, presence right there. He locks eyes with Alfonso as he walks to the foot of the bed. Or, I'm sorry, it seemed to have intensified, like, with his absence. Like, once he was yeah. gone for a few while. Now, it's like this guy is, like, pissed or what this thing yeah, how is. How dare you leave me? Then as Alfonso sits once again paralyzed with fear, the smoke returns, starts to rise up around the man, billowing, swirling around him. Then the man opens his mouth, and the most anguished scream Alfonso had ever heard pours out. It's deafening. He waits for his mom and dad to come burst into his room. They, this had to have woken them. Probably woke up half the neighborhood, but no one comes. Even worse, as the man screams, the flesh on his face begins to split. Blood begins to pour out. A familiar <sighs> scent fills the air. The smell of burning rubber, human flesh. The man's skin begins to bubble and blister oh. and blacken. 
His blood begins to boil. His eyes literally melt, shriveling up in their sockets until only black, hollowed-out pits remain. His hair smokes, sizzles, disappears. Sizzling flesh begins to fall off of his bones. His face, soon his face is just a skull with a few blackened pieces of meat clinging to it, and he is still screaming. No eyes, but he is still staring. The moment he stops screaming, his bones fall to the floor in a pile. Alfonso, it's like a spell was broken, finally begins to scream himself, and his parents do hear that. Yeah. His mother rushes into the room, tries to console him. He tells her that everything you know that had just happened. She tries to convince him it was just a bad dream. He's just having these nightmares. Then his dad comes in, oh and God. his dad sees <gasps> two burnt, darkened spots on the hardwood floor no beneath shit. his bed. They look almost like footprints, like someone burning had been standing there, and he could still smell the smoke. <gasps> no way. For the first time, his parents, both of them, now take Alfonso seriously. They talk to their priest, who comes over, blesses both their home and Alfonso. They also call upon a bruja, who comes over and cleanses the home again. Bruja is a, like Spanish for like a witch. Oh, okay. Or a bruja, a practitioner of brujeria, which is like a blend of occult folk magic and Catholicism. I want one. Between the priest and the bruja's cleanings or cleansings, it works. The man's gone, as is the heavy and oppressive feeling. Yes. Alfonso's father apologizes over and over for not taking his son seriously. Also asks his son to describe <sighs> in detail what did this man look like? And the answer made his father turn as pale as a ghost. Uh-huh. Because his son described, as you know, as you would guess, in perfect detail, the man who had begged Alfonso's father to save him before being burned alive. Yeah. And while the ghost or whatever was in Alfonso's bedroom has never returned, he's still haunted by that car accident. Well, Yeah. He says that he still, when he closes his eyes, he can see that man burning away to nothing. He can still hear his screams. Worst of all, he can still smell his burning flesh. Yeah. 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 That's a crazy story, right? Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the time that I saw a guy crash his motorcycle in L.A. and go flying? No. You saw it happen. Mm-hmm. He I died. saw two really bad motorcycle wrecks. And that's like in my mind. It was just kind of like playing. One, I wasn't driving. I was in the car with somebody else. And, uh, you know, every state, I, yeah. I didn't know this, but every state has different laws about how you can operate uh, a motorcycle, meaning oh, yeah. some places, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. you have to stay behind cars, like just as if you are a car, but other places you can bob and weave. And in LA, you can bob and weave. And uh, this guy was just trying to, you know, get through some really sticky traffic right. on, on the, I think we were on the 10. And the next thing you know, you just see the bike and him. And wow. I mean, you know, an ambulance came, but like, you know, you're crawling through traffic. So, I mean, I don't know if he made it. And then another time when I was living with you, uh, yeah. you know how you would go across, uh, I think it was maybe Pico, like across a town, and you go underneath the bridge over like the overpass as if you were passing like CAA and oh, yeah. Century mm-hmm. City mm-hmm. Mall. There's that little, weird little kind of like hill and there's, you know, I, I know, I, you know I, there's I, like I the Ralphs yep. on the right. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, I can picture exactly what you're talking about. And I remember coming up to that little spot and avenue of the stars that yeah right area. over there yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, exactly and uh, i remember coming up to it and there was a bike uh, a oh. motorcycle splaying out and a uh like a tarp over a body oh man i i, I saw one motorcycle thing i mean there because there's uh, if anybody living in la listening to this i mean odds are you if you've lived there long enough have seen something similar oh yeah it's because, inevitable. because those motorcycles are constantly whipping in between traffic at crazy rates of speed, you know, because they can legally technically be able to do that, but so it's so dumb. dangerous. And people are always on their phones and not paying attention, mm-hmm. especially in traffic. 
I mean, I've been guilty of that where you're sitting there, you know, you go fucking 10 feet every minute. And you're so like, well, I might as well fuck around my phone. I'm fucking bored out of my mind. What's happening on Facebook today? And and I saw, you know, I could see in the distance when I was coming back from a Burbank when I was working up there oh, yeah. at uh, the Victory Empire Plaza. Em- Empire Plaza, yeah. And, and, yeah. Go- and going across, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the freedom. Terrible. But cutting across that Burbank with the freeway that cuts to the 405 to drop down. Like the 170? Maybe the 170. Yeah, maybe the 170. Yeah, yeah. I'm terrible with the, with the numbers. But anyway... I could see the traffic. There was no traffic. The 134. Uh, uh, yes, the 134. Mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah, there was no traffic coming towards me at all. I'm like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Like, n- there's never at this time. This is like three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Like, there's Should never be no cars. Yeah. And then in the distance, I could see just a wall of cars and a bunch of police cars in front. And then in front of the police cars, yeah, just one motorcycle on its side and <sighs> one body way out in front of the motorcycle. Yeah. Not moving. Man. So, yeah, it's like it didn't look good. No. That, um, that that's that story is terrifying. Yeah. It's, I mean, oh my truly, god. Truly, I mean, I've never seen anybody die. But <sighs> I, can you imagine watching someone watching someone die in that way? With, I mean, that would be like my worst nightmare uh, as just a human, just as a, a person, a citizen, uh, like seeing an accident and wanting to be able to help somebody and mm-hmm, then not. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I actually thought it was going to get worse. I thought that the dad was also going to be trapped and they were going to burn together. Oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we have a few pictures, of course. Of course. First picture, this is uh, not a picture of that story, but this is yeah. uh, maybe, what a bur- maybe what the kids saw. This is like a entity that's on fire, the face okay. of like some burning skull thing. This is okay. just from a short horror film, film called Burning Man. Okay. Um, this next one is from a movie that we, you and I saw. This is a burning person from Hereditary. Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's kind of like what he saw at the foot of his bed, you know, something yeah. catching on fire and his, I guess the smoke. Tony Collette was in that movie, right? Yeah, that's her right there. Yeah. yeah. I love that movie. I, I remember. You didn't like it as much. Yeah. I thought it was scary. Yeah. Joe, Joe, our producer, he thought it was scary. Well, you guys are weenies. <laughs> Here's another Burning Man picture. Uh, this is Joe and I in Burning Man. That's awesome. I was waiting for a, bur- <laughs> a Burning Man picture. Did you guys get married? We got married in Burning Man. Oh, you guys are such a lovely couple. Thank you. That guy on the on my right mm-hmm. looks like a weird version of Pee Wee Herman. Like like a well fed Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. This. Can you see it in the face? <laughs> yeah, Paul Rubin a little bit in the face. <laughs> I just love there's so many pictures to choose from from Burning Man, and then my my very favorite Burning Man of all time, uh, and this is truly I'm not making up my favorite. When I think of like a burning guy, I go back a little ways, but I think of this. I think of this is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Fire Marshal Bill, Jim Carrey, a living color. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Let me tell you something. <laughs> How's it go? Let me tell you something. <laughs> God, he I is genius. I try to do that all the time as a kid. Oh my god, one of the funniest characters in show history. But that guy, you know, he's always on fire. How are we not watching that with our kids? Oh my god, Kyler would be shitting his pants laughing. Okay, yep, we're gonna put we're it on gonna, the yep, list. Yep, put that on the list. We are, let's move it up in front of uh, Third Rock from the Sun for sure. For sure, I would. Oh my god, so good. Oh my so god. Good. So <sighs> so so, what do you think on this? Going back to this Alfonso story, do you yeah. do you think? I mean, obviously there's an the argument that it was all in his head, mm-hmm. you know. But the the footprints, you know, if that was you know part true that his dad smelled the smoke too, that makes it a little harder yeah. to think it's in his head. So let's say it's not in his head. Is it the ghost of the man from the accident, or is it just some entity that was already in that room of the new house and it took on that and form it's, and it's just using that to fuck with him? I don't know because like I was thinking about to. Um, I mean, I hate to constantly be talking about our house, mm-hmm. which we'll get there in a second. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, like, what if the guy that did live in our house and had this heart attack, mm-hmm. you know, what if he, because we, we always have said that our house is good energy. Right. 
but what if he's like a pathway for some other terrible thing like what ah. if like what if like entities can attach to each other it's kind of what i'm thinking so you'll have like um you know a spirit that's with you that is peaceful and maybe it's like your you know your mom or your right. whatever a friend who's like with you but then in the spirit world you've got that like good person and then what if a bad entity attaches to that and comes through the good entity to get to you that's yeah, kind of who what knows I, that's I guess, kind of what I, I was picturing is that it's like there could have been an entity in that room yeah could have been bad, could have been right, good. Right, But then the, he has this horrible experience. Right, and maybe bring and, something and, else along. And fire guy is really fucking pissed <laughs> yeah. off, and he comes through the good entity in the house to get yeah. to the kid, really ultimately to get to the dad. Right. As like a fuck you. Like, uh, I also was thinking like, oh, you didn't, oh. Sa- you didn't save me? Well, now I'm going to fucking take your kid from you kind Yee, of thing. That, mean, that just gave me the chills. I didn't even, for some reason, think about that possibility. Yeah. Because I was like, well, why wouldn't it go after, oof, why wouldn't it go after the dad? Well, it's like, yeah, if, if I was some furious, evil, hateful thing, it's like, yeah. what, what's worse than that going after their kids? Yeah. Eesh. I know. I know. I I don't know. And it's, it's, uh, huh. I, I'm surprised actually in that specific story. I understand the cultural decision to not go to therapy right mm-hmm, away. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they just didn't start praying all the time. Ah, ah, like, yeah. Like, why weren't, why weren't there a shitload of, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe candle? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know what was coming today. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, why weren't there prayer candles? Why weren't they going to church? Like, that that seemed well, weird I, to me. I, I think because they just didn't buy it at all. I think because they, they thought, like, well, he's stressed out from the movie. They knew what the, he had just seen. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're talking about that. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, I, I would imagine, because I was wondering, like, at what point, okay, you know, yeah. put in our own lives, let's say, you know, uh, Okay, let's say like we, same thing. We see something like oh that. God, I just thought about something. Go ahead. Kyler Monroe see me try to pull somebody out of a burning car. I can't do it. The person dies in front of them. And then they start claiming they're having like these crazy nightmares. I would I would think, well, yeah. Yeah. Of course you're having crazy nightmares. Think about what you just saw. I, I don't, it would take me a long time to think that it was paranormal. Do you remember that one terrible thing that happened that Kyler's still upset about? What? No. That time that we were at Dodger Stadium and you didn't catch that. <laughs> you didn't catch that fly the, ball. The for haunting him. of Dodger Stadium. Oh my god! Well, now I gotta say the story. Is this is this is ridiculous? This is it is funny that Kyler is still irritated by this, and I'll explain why I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, we're at Do- we would go to Dodgers games and we're sitting in the front of like the upper deck, uh, or maybe like the mid deck. Whatever doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, but it doesn't like matter. Doesn't matter. But high up. towards the front, foul ball shoots up our way. We're back behind like first base, and a foul ball shoots back towards our way, and. It did come. I was like, "Oh my god, this is actually coming right towards us!" Yeah, and and I and I went to reach out for it, like over the railing, but then I had just read a story that right right before that happened, it was it was um Texas Rangers. I think yeah. it was the in their ballpark. I think so. Josh Hamilton. I think was the outfielder that was doing the, um that he some guy went to reach for a a, a ball that we you know going towards him in the outfield, and he reached too far and he fell to his fucking death. Yeah. So I started to reach. I'm like, mm, not gonna die. Going for a foul ball, and then if I would have just reached like three inches further, I would have caught it. Yeah. And Kyler has been upset for years. Do you know? Who? I was his one chance to get a foul ball at a baseball, and he's just like, you could have just grabbed it. You could have easily grabbed it. You he know, was upset, really upset the rest of the game. You know, like older men of a previous generation aren't afraid to do that because, like, my dad caught foul balls for me at the old Cleveland Indian Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. If my dad or my grandpa, I'd be hearing it even worse. Oh yeah. If my grandpa could just hear what I just said, he'd be like, "Oh, oh god. god, so dramatic." 
Like you hear about but one is, person dying. It is scary though, because it's like you're at the edge, and you didn't have. A, here's what I'll say in your defense: you didn't have like a hat to like reach out to give yeah. you those three extra inches. You didn't have a mitt, like nothing. It was just you. And there's a reason I didn't just tear shit up in high school athletically. Well, it's because I didn't I'm not an it. amazing athlete. Because after it was all said and done, it would have been very easy to grab it. I could, maybe, I could maybe. Have, I didn't. I didn't have to reach out that far to grab it. If I would have been somebody with better understanding of depth, de- perception? depth perception, and hand-eye coordination. Yeah, well, that's fair. You're also not good at parking cars, oh. so that's like depth perception too. It all makes sense to me. Now though. let's let's talk about you. Oh my god! At the end of this, and oh, and also, actually, before we get to, yeah. I do want to say to the fans, Halloween. You know, is it Halloween week is, is, is next week. Yeah. You know, it's our Halloween week story that we're going to, we've decided to debut some of your stories. Yes. That seems like a good time to do it. Yeah. So keep sending your stories in to it's uh, my story, M-Y-S-T-O-R-Y at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. And then we'll share a few at the end of the show. Yeah. And, and we're after not our sure, banter. Yeah. We're not sure what that's going to look like. Like, yeah. uh, it might be like one, like somebody has like a really good long oh, story. Yeah. It might be like one good long story. It might be like a few little short snippets. It might be updates of things that are happening to right. you while you're listening to the podcast. Like, we're just going to kind of mess around with it and see yeah. what you guys like. And right, right. We'll and take the, it from there. And the end of the show is just going to be a little bit looser. And, and again, we talked about this before, but it's like, you know, we, we work hard to try to get to the stories quicker than a lot of other podcasts initially. Yeah, because your time is valuable. Yep, get it. We, under- yeah. we understand that not everybody wants to, you know, hear all of our kind of behind the scenes banter. Yeah. And then for those of you who do, all right, you can listen to the end. And if you yeah. don't, you can stop listening. Exactly. And we make like, it, we're trying to make it easy. If you've had enough right now, you just hit yeah. stop. Please don't complain about banter at the end of the show. I know, that'd be a weird thing. One star, don't like the banter at the end. If only my finger worked. If only I knew how to use the stop button. (laughs) Uh, Also, also, uh, one little announcement for any of our local Coeur d'Alene Spokane listeners. uh, I don't know if you saw on my social media, uh, my personal social media at Queen of the Suck on Instagram. I am working with a restaurant on 4th Street, 10 over 6, good friends of ours, TJ and Craig and Mama. And um, we're doing something for Operation Gratitude. Operation Gratitude, go ahead and Google it and check it out for your own peace of mind. But really what they do is they do care packages for troops. And every time they do a care package, they throw in a handful of candy. As you can imagine, Halloween's a great time to collect that candy. So uh, that's the drop point. If you have excess leftover Halloween candy, your kids go trick-or-treating and you just don't want the candy, whatever, you can take it to 10 over 6 uh, from now until... November 1st, maybe November 2nd if we have to, um, and just hand it off to them and they will get it to me and then I will ship it off to Operation Gratitude who puts together these care packages. So that's for our local listeners. Uh, if you live out of state, please don't send it to us, honestly. Uh, the co- It even says it on Operation Gratitude. The cost of you sending it to me and me sending it to them defeats the purpose. If you want to donate your candy, you can go on their website and find a local place to donate. So, so Perfect. Yep. Good job. Good job, Helpy Helperton. Helpy, helpy, helpy. Okay. Now, now we're going to talk, talk about, about how, how the show almost ended because you were losing your goddamn mind when I was gone. Okay. So last week, mm-hmm. no, a week and a half ago, Dan was in Tampa. Yeah. And he had to leave on a Wednesday and he didn't come home until a Monday. So yeah, here I am week. alone, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, five fucking nights alone. Mm-hmm. And the first night... The, that, t- the terror building, like many of our stories. Yes. So the first night that he's gone... Okay, that was 10K weekend. So Thursday night, because like I remember sure. very distinctly, Thursday night, I decided it was time to have some Reiki performed. And I know a girl locally who does an amazing job. And I was like, okay... And what is Reiki? Because that... Yeah. Right, Reiki is an energy cleaning, cleansing, balancing. So they... Um, 
Alfonso's dad would have thrown you out of his fucking house. <laughs> it's all about clearing your chakras. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm lying on this table having like getting ready to have Reiki performed. And you, you in this scenario, I've only had this done once. This was my first experience. I was lying on like a massage table. Yeah. So I'm lying there fully clothed, all the things. And before she can even begin, I feel a very affirmative squeeze on my right foot like like if these are my toes it's like this mm-hmm. she is standing behind my head so i assure you that it is not the person performing right. this. she she couldn't have, she couldn't have touched no she got fucking go-go gadget arms <laughs> like <laughs> it's great not reference no possible. She doesn't, i've seen her she doesn't have go-go gadget arms yeah she's so cute um yeah she is <laughs> that's weird <laughs> i mean she is <laughs> but yeah yeah but anyways so I feel that and I'm like in my mind already. I know that there's a ghost that is uh, like the resident ghost in the building that she works in. I think his name is John. I can't remember. He's like an old man. Practically everyone who works there who's seen him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, just let it go. So she does the whole thing. And I am. Why do they call him John? I, I, I think that's the guy's name. They figured out it was like the guy that like owned the building. Oh, like Jesus. Okay. It's a whole thing. Okay, Anyways. So uh, I'm lying there and I can be skeptical like I'm, I'm open to these things but i can definitely be skeptical so i'm like okay like what's she doing she's waving her hands over my chakras like saying weird th- i don't fucking know what's going on i have sure. my eyes closed and um so she's working her way down i feel nothing i feel nothing i feel nothing she gets to the chakra that's like around like your upper belly area and it is suddenly incredibly hard for me to breathe i my, my breathing becomes very shallow like there's a weight on me and, and and i'll just speed to the end to let you know that chakra is a chakra that has a lot to do with your self-esteem and your like thoughts of like how you feel about yourself so of course like i don't have great self-esteem so of course it's hard for me to breathe like she's clearing out the negative energy that weighs me down in that area but then i'm like ah, maybe i'm just like i'm overthinking it i'm doing this to myself and i'm not smirking at yourself i'm just smirking at like I, I i know i i'm open to things on this show paranormal um i have to fight i have to fight eye rolls when i hear chakra talk i know i know and we've talked about this i mean dan has told me like if i start bringing home crystals and burning patchouli like i'm fucking out (laughs) but i'm gonna i want everyone in this studio to have reiki performed because i want you to have a comparison yeah i've never done it so i'm shitting on it without knowing what it's like and 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 i totally get it okay so heavyweights now we're like um my hands were resting like across my belly button if you will like I was just like lying on my back okay. and she gets to like the next chakra and I, I don't even like, I'm not so well versed in this. I think there's what, nine chakras? I don't even know. I have 40. That's Sorry. hot. That's hot. That's yeah. I love them. They call me 40 chakras. <laughs> 40 shock. Okay. So, so they get down to the lowest chakra. <laughs> this, is, this is my life. I can never tell okay, you a story. I'll, okay. I'll stop. <laughs> so funny. Um, but she gets to the next chakra and my arms start to feel like they are on fucking fire just from my elbows to my fingertips, like so hot. And in my mind, I'm like, what is happening right now? Like so weird. And I'm still trying to like, nope, 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 nope. Next chakra, uh, which is like your sacrum chakra. Uh, so it, like it's where your creativity is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like when like my hands were on fire. Okay, so I get that. Then she goes to like the left leg or like to the legs, like my left leg. She's got her hand on my leg. And I feel really, really heavy, like weighted down. Like it's a very bizarre feeling. Next, like I feel like I'm like, am I fucking floating? It's It was so trippy. I wasn't high. I hadn't had any booze, like nothing. Like this is all very weird. She does my feet. We get to the whole thing. We get to the end. We're talking through it. I have all these questions about all these different things I'm feeling. And she's explaining to me something about like when she got to my feet, I guess that's like an 
I, I will give her credit where she, this is kind of new for her too. And she's like, I know this can sound hokey, but like mm-hmm. when you're clearing the chakras, it's like separating your spiritual presence from your physical presence. And when they get to the end, the goal is to bring them back together and realign you, right? So that right. you feel more together, positive, whatever, okay? She said that, this is very good for all of my people who are into this. Apparently, I'm incredibly grounded. Like she said, the the reconvening of the two beings together was incredibly quick, and she'd never experienced that before. Normally, it takes quite a while. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting about that is that as a defense mechanism and just something I do in life is I actually dig my heels in quite a bit. I have plantar fasciitis even before I started running. I've always had problems with my feet, mm-hmm. and it's because I like physically dig in. So we were having a conversation about that. Then we're chatting and I go, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. I think the old man, John or whatever, I think he squeezed my foot while we were doing this. And she goes, "Okay, I wasn't going to say anything. But while I was performing Reiki, there was an older gentleman, not the building guy, trying to reach you. And that opens up the weekend of you being in Tampa and me being home alone to a fucking nightmare of a weekend. Because I'm like, what did he look like? Who was it? I start going through every man in my life that has passed away. Not that there's like a ton of them, but there are a few. Yeah. There's enough. There's like my grandfather, my Uncle Bill, my cousin Ross, my dad's. Co- oh, I wonder if it was Tommy. Anyways, like, yeah. I'm, so yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get home and send you pictures of all these dudes. Maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's that guy. I get home and I am like, I'm feeling heavy. Like it just. So then I spend the weekend. Uh, uh, Zach who works for us, uh, his wife mm-hmm. is really into, uh, I don't know if she's into Wiccan, but she's definitely into yeah. like the spiritual cleansing and all of that. Mm-hmm. So she had given me a cleansing kit. I'm, I fucking, it's cold outside. I think that's the, maybe the weekend that it snowed. Mm-hmm. I'm fucking opening windows. I'm walking around the house saying the our father pr- spraying cleansing spray. You're supposed to do it over every window, every dark corner. I am losing my fucking shit that. So that's Thursday. I don't even know how I went to sleep. Friday's rough. Saturday's rough. I mean, it's just building. Every night's fucking worse. Every day, I'm scared. I'm scared during the day. I'm scared at night. The dogs are barking. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, they're barking more. They're like, there's this, there's that. Sunday night, I sleep with every fucking light in the house on every single light. I have lost my mind. Dan comes home Monday. Monday night, we're catching up. How was the weekend? Blah, blah, blah. We're sitting in the hot tub and that's it. Fucking tears. I'm like, I can't do this. I am freaking out. I'm like, baby, you don't know how tired I've been. I'm so exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm so freaked out. And the the part of me that gets into these stories is like, even like we were talking about like um, the, I was going to say kibitz. The, 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 the book. The, the book. The dibbuk. That's a weird word. The dibbuk box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hebrew is a weird language in some ways. Um, but I'm like, oh my God. Like I'm slowly changing. Like something, like something's attached to me. It's in me. It's on me. It's in my house. And this is how it's going to wear me down. It's going to start by me not being able to right. sleep. Then I'm going to be fucking cranky and bitchy. And we're going to fight. And I really like. So I, so I was able to talk you off the ledge. Eventually, we just got to like go for little walks, talk it all out. You know, it's it's uh things are going to be okay. There's scary things. You know, talk about it isn't going to make it worse. Um, I do feel a little bad that when I was on the road, it's like, I didn't even tell you, but I had built a small satanic altar in my hotel room and I would just pray there every night. Just take her, not me. Take her, not me. Dark Lord, give me power for her soul. Dark Lord. Why do you have to do it in an accent? Cause that's what, I don't know. That's what Satan wants. <laughs> it's, it, no. it was but awful. I, but, but, but yeah. But, but I, it was like, it was so intense. Dan was like, all right, do we need to replace you on the show? Like, are you going to be okay? Right. 
I mean, currently I'm okay. I but- was so torn because I was like, oh my God, I don't know if this is going to work. This is but, uh, but the other part of me <laughs> was know. like, it's working. You're like, the show it's, is The good. show is scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's no. been it's been but we fucking t- but we terrifying. talked it out, so we're gonna we're gonna you know uh, do what we need to do behind the scenes to make yeah. sure that we can keep this going, keep keep Lindsay feeling okay. Yeah, I mean, and basically, I mean, I think that like this show, you mm-hmm. will know that the show is successful when we start doing it from the insane asylum, and I'm <laughs> no. strapped down to a bed. No, we're not gonna we're not gonna like it that far. That's what you think. That far. That's what you think. So that's what's been happening with me. We would love to hear what's happening with you. Yeah. So again, if you have mm-hmm. scary stories to share about what happens while you're watching or listening to the show or something that's happened to you in your life, you can send that to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. And just so you know, I mean, it's me replying to you guys. Um, I can only do so many for now, at a time. For now. Right. Okay. Dan, well, well, always, Dan always wants everything to be so truthful and no, honest. No, no, no. No, I just want to like, I know, I'm, I'm saying I, for the future in case you get too scared. I know. I know. Okay. okay it's okay. okay. No one's right. going to come back to episode seven and be like, but you said it was Lindsay and now it's not. <laughs> okay, okay. Calm down. All right. He's funny that way, you guys. Um, But but yeah, uh, I can only handle replying to so many at a time. And then some of them, you know, like some people send in like a paragraph and some people send me four page word documents. So uh, I'll get back to you. Just hang tight it's it's a lot and then and thank you for sending uh, the stories that I we're mean, gonna start. kind of thank you yeah, well yeah you've been scaring the shit out of her <laughs> i know it was fun to do email replies like on the plane i i think i've decided i cannot do it in our house mm-hmm. because then i'm like wait what was that yep you know yeah and, I'm, excited. I'm excited to hear these oh they're good and also anybody living in like rural parts that's where a lot of this shit happens mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. i'm noticing a lot of kentucky indiana ohio e. out in the farm the devil's belt the, oh, the devil know. belt. The devil I like belt. it. I like it. Maybe that's oh, why it is the the Bible belt. Yeah, maybe the devil's belt is like right next to it. Yeah, and and also uh, I know you wanted. Yes, us- I've got that note. Yeah, oh, okay, look at okay, that. Okay. Oh, you do. I do. I have a note for you guys. <laughs> The, the the other thing is is that our other email address is info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Next week's episode, we will finally be giving our listeners a name. Mm-hmm. And so some people have been sending in some suggestions and we're doing some research. And so Dan and I are going to be collaborating this next week. So if you have an idea of what you should be called, yeah. email us at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Otherwise, stories and scary encounters yeah. all go to my story at scaredeathpodcast.com yeah thank you and, and also eventually and pray for me just pray, and pray for, for me and also we're eventually going to get little um we're gonna come up with some little fun things around the little three heads coming out of the yes. box yeah we have part of our lo- lo- logo we have some names for them that we'll reveal hmm? eventually yeah and, and they're each getting their own little backstory so we'll have a little mythology they're, they're coming alive just like the burning man was coming alive more and more in alfonso's room these little figures seem to be taking on little lives in our heads you know the so guys that real. made our logos Danger Brain? Mm-hmm. Alfonso. I, oh, yeah. You started talking and I was like, please don't say he moved to Florida. Please don't say he moved <laughs> no, to wasn't, Florida. No, it wasn't uh, Danger Brain Alfonso. Don't say he has a brother named Sebastian. <laughs> I was freaked out. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, continuing to spread the show, uh, you know, and, and let other people know yeah. about it and continuing to watch and have fun. And we hear more and more tales of like the co-watching, which is I love. Yeah. Like laying in bed, watching it on YouTube. Ooh, you know what would be so fun? What? If you have like a virtual reality set or oh. like those like augmented reality so, YouTube. If you were lying in bed and you could, I mean, I won't be doing that, <laughs> but you can. So this, uh, this, is, this is a Bad Magic production. Thanks to the Bad Magic Productions team, Harmony Bellicamp, social media, Joe Paisley producing, directing, Zach Flannery helping as well. Thanks to uh, Joe Paisley, Zach Cohen, and Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds we use. 
Yay. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast. Share those preview videos. Subscribe everywhere you can listen. All the places. Including on YouTube, Bad Magic Productions. Enjoy your nightmares. Hopefully yeah. don't get as scared as Lindsay. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe do get scared to death. And don't open any sealed boxes. Goodbye. See ya. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death.